welcome to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. One day in the house of the Lord is better than? Hallelujah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. You know, and that, that comes from a particular psalm. King David was away in battle, and he was fighting, and at nighttime in his tent, he began just worshiping God and calling out to God and just telling him, I, I just long to be in your courts. I long to be in your house amongst your people. He even declared that not only do your people get to prosper there and grow their families there, but even the swallows, the birds of the air, even nest there and grow their young there. And everybody is there. It's a sanctuary. Your house is a sanctuary. Hallelujah. And he said, one day in that house is better than a thousand elsewhere. And he actually says, better than a house, better than a thousand in the tents of evil. If you actually go back to the history of the time, those were tents of prostitution. What the world desired, what men of his generation would have desired, King David said, one day in your house, just one day in your house would be better than a thousand there. God is good. Amen. And he blesses unity. Where unity is, he commands a blessing. There's a blessing there. And for us as Christians, there's a way that we're meant to live. And I want to give you a book of the Bible today. We call it a book, but it's really a letter. It's the third shortest book in the Bible. In the original Greek, about 335 words. I've run into people who've been in church and been Christians a long time who've told me, Uh, that they've never read the book. It's one of those books that people skip over. It's kind of like in the wood shop, you know, you make the piece of furniture and everybody admires it, but then there's sawdust sitting there. And people are like, oh, we just sweep that up and throw it away. People kind of consider it to be, you know, lesser in the Bible. They don't really consider it. Or when they read it, they don't quite get what it means. So we're going to take a look at the book of Philemon today. And these are 335 words that have changed the world that you and I live in, and you don't even know it. 335 words that inspired generations of men and women to tackle a problem that humanity has had since the fall and certainly since they began building the Tower of Babel, the problem of slavery. Now, you might think, living here in modern-day Melbourne, that slavery is finished. Well, slavery is over with, isn't it? And the answer to that is no. Here in Melbourne, in, in Australia today, it is estimated by the United, by the United Nations that some 4,500 people live today in modern-day slavery. They've been sex trafficked. Slavery hasn't been done away with. Slavery's tried to adapt, but it's tried to adapt of the full-on frontal attack by faith-filled men and women, born again in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing the difference between a truth and a lie, who believe that every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God and therefore of infinite moral value. You can only get there. You can't get there through the other religions of the world. They cannot get you there. It is only Christianity, the Bible, and the person of Jesus Christ who can get you there. And I'm going to show you why that is today. When you hear the criticism from the world that our Bible 
promotes slavery, that is dead wrong. How many of you have heard that? Please just raise your hand. The Bible promotes slavery. You've heard that criticism. Quite a few of you. It's not an unusual criticism. It's false. But if you don't know the answer as to why it's false, then you might just fall for that lie. You might just fall for believing that today. So I want to talk to you about the different voices in your life, the people that you look at and you allow to impart on you visually, auditory-wise, your hearing, because what you see and what you hear out there in the world can get down on the inside of you. And if you're not careful, if you're not countering that with the truth, capital T truth, then all of these lowercase t truths that are out there in the world, lies disguised as the truth that are competing for your attention. The Bible says, wide is the way and broad is the path that leads to destruction. But Jesus said, narrow is the way. He said of himself, I am the truth capital T. I am the life, and I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes a truth claim there about himself. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not one Messiah amongst many. He's not one religious leader amongst many. He's not one prophet amongst many. Jesus claimed to be God in human skin, come to do for us what we could, do not, could not do for ourselves. He claimed to be the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world, to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law that the Jews lived under, that he himself lived under and lived and moved and worked in in the culture that everyone was aware of, and he claimed to be the Messiah. That was his claim. Amen? Amen. And he allowed those around him to just gradually roll into a revelation of who he was. We see Peter when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Oh, Peter just burst out with this revelation. Amen? You are the Messiah. That's who you are. Of course, a few sentences later, some rubbish came out of Peter's heart, right? Jesus told him off for it. Get behind me, Satan. So you can go from getting it right to getting it absolutely wrong. What's been influencing you? What's your motivation? We need to look at that today. Where do you sharpen your motivation? Where do you develop and define your Christian motivation? Let's face it, we are not meant to walk through life kind of bumblesome Christians, kind of bumbling our way along, knocking into things. We are people who are invited to live intentionally in our generation in a given location. We are ones who go with purpose. We have purpose to fulfill. Where do you develop that? Where does that come from? Is it coming from Facebook? Is Facebook competing with that? Is YouTube competing with that? Do you have 15 different people that you kind of follow? All of these people who are influencers? Are influencers influencing you? I don't get the whole influencer thing. Someone with a bunch of followers on social media and suddenly they're a celebrity and worth listening to? Excuse me, why? Can you explain that to me? Why? Because the world says so? Because everyone else is doing it? Is that the form of faith that we have? Is that what the Bible instructs us to do? No. Bible tells us to call down every high-minded imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If you don't have a knowledge of God, well, how can you know to call down anything? Yeah, you've got the authority that's in the name of Jesus, but how do you know? How do you identify the lowercase t 
from the capital T, the truth. How do you tell the difference? We're instructed to live in a certain way that we would be able to identify, that we'd be able to live wise and on fire in our generation. Amen? No weapon formed against us will prosper unless you're deceived. Then it just might prosper. You know, fellowship and unity are so important. We're going to go through the book of Philemon here in just a second. I want you to focus in on two things. One is this is a home group. This is Paul writing to Philemon, the leader of a home group, a church that was in his home. This is a home group, a group of people meeting together regularly. Sometimes they did it every day of the week. And this was also a group of people who gathered on Sunday. Did you know the early, why do we worship on Sunday? Because the early church always gathered on Sunday. Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. The power of the Holy Spirit came down on a Sunday. They were gathered together in unity, in one accord, and the Holy Spirit came down. Amen. And God inhabits the praises of his people when we gather together in unity. He comes and he inhabits. God prefers Sunday. And everybody else can just get over it. God prefers Sunday. Amen? Amen? That's the truth. We're following a very old pattern that goes all the way back to Jesus rising from the dead on the first day of the week, which represented a new age, a, a new dispensation of God. The beginning of the week was a change. Yes, Scripture says that, that God's mercies are renewed every day. But what happens at the beginning of an age? Well, God begins to do the new thing. And you and I are 2,000 years into the new thing. Hallelujah. We are the new thing. Oh, praise God. Focus on the fact that it's a home church. And I want you to focus on a young man named Onesimus. Onesimus. His name meant useful or profitable, and what was implied in the word is useful thing, profitable thing. This is a phrase used most often to describe a commodity or a product or property that you own. He was born a slave in the house of Philemon. Philemon met Paul most likely on one of his business trips from Colossae to Ephesus, and he got saved. He became a believer. He went home. His whole household got saved. The people, his neighbors in Colossae began to get saved. They began to come in here. Paul taught in his house. And you can imagine this young man, born in slavery, useful things, standing in the corner, profitable things, standing in the corner, watching everyone get saved. And something happens on the inside of him. He himself believes. He believes. Can you imagine that? born a slave, the lowest of everybody in the house, and he believes. And he's changed and he knows it. And yet those around him don't recognize that about him. They still see him as a slave, and yet he knows on the inside he's far more than a slave now. He knows he's of infinite moral value to God because he's been born again in spirit. You can imagine this young man getting despondent. We know that Philemon was robbed by Onesimus, either in his home or on a business trip, perhaps. And Onesimus took whatever he could. He robbed his master, and he ran. He found himself in Rome. Some say he was arrested in Rome, and 
met Paul in Rome there. But Rome, uh, in Rome, Paul was under a house arrest. He was living in a paid apartment. He wasn't in a dungeon somewhere during this particular imprisonment. It's most likely that he went to Rome and either sought out Paul or heard Paul was there. But he ran into Paul. And Paul had mercy and kindness for this young man. This young man who'd been transformed by the simple act of faith in Jesus Christ. By faith, he laid hold of his salvation through grace and was born again. He was transformed, renewed on the inside. And Paul loved him and Paul embraced him and Paul discipled him and welcomed him into his home that he was in for house arrest. You know, we wouldn't know anything about Onesimus if it wasn't for the book of Philemon. None of what I just told you would we really know because the only other mention of Onesimus in Scripture is in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 and 9, Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And Paul writes to them, and he just has one little line. He says, I'm also sending with this letter and these people, I'm also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your very own people. One of your very own people. That one of your very own people is one of equal stature, status, and value to you. One of equality to you. He is not property. He is a faithful. He's been tried and tested and proven to be faithful. He is a faithful and beloved brother. Onesimus was working for Paul. He was part of Paul's delivery service, messenger team. That's awesome. What a great job for a young man born as a slave who became a thief. According to the laws of the time, that the second he robbed his master and ran away, anyone who found him could either kill him or return him to his master. And when he was returned to his master, his master had the right to either just retain him in slavery, he could physically maim him so that he'd never run away again, or he could kill him. It was up to the master. He was treated like property. And that is the background, the backdrop, the backstory of what I'm about to read to you from the book of Philemon. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Apphia, to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to, to the church that meets in your house. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 4, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Hold on to that. You will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. As you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ, your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Verse 8, that is why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ 
because it is the right thing to do. Hold on to that. It is the right thing to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. My child. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus, useful thing, hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. No longer property, but a man in his own right. More than a man, a brother in the Lord. Talk about a promotion. Only in Christ can this happen. So, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Whatever he stole from you, whatever you've lost, and whatever you're about to lose in the process of giving him freedom, whatever market value he had as a useful thing. Was it 400? Was it 500 talents? Was it 1,000 talents? Whatever it was, you put it to my account. Why would he do that? What example would Paul follow to pay off anyone else's debt that was not his own? We know the answer, Christ. Hallelujah. Because of what Christ had done for him, Paul, who counted himself the greatest of sinners, the one with the greatest debt to forgive, who was radically transformed, redeemed out of the slave market of sin. Hallelujah. Yes, my brother, do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I asked and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, so do Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, who penned the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a team. What a team. What a team. You know, the words for redemption, the word redemption that we find in Hebrews chapter 9, 
with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place in heaven once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. He secured our redemption forever. That word redemption, the word redeemed, was only ever used in one context, and that was in the slave market. Slaves would be marched into the slave market. They would be stripped naked. They would be led up onto a a stand so that everyone could see them. And then potential buyers who were considering a purchase would go up and they would look at them. It was degrading. It was humiliating. It was the greatest experience of shame you would ever experience in your life. They would put their fingers in your mouth and examine your teeth to see how healthy you were or were you close to death. Dental health and uh, dental hygiene and your health are closely connected today. They'd have to go through that. They would check their temperament. Are are they someone who's going to to fight against me and and they're going to be a problem and they're going to run away? The way that they would test that is by punching them or slapping them or whipping them with a stick out of the blue all of a sudden just to see if they'd react. Could they spark a reaction? If there was no reaction, they'd know that they were broken and that they would be a useful thing. To redeem somebody from the slave market meant that you walked in at the point of purchase, at the point of the greatest humiliation, their awareness of their greatest vulnerability. You walked in and you paid the full price for their release. And you covered them and you clothed them and you walked them out of the slave market free forever. To redeem somebody wasn't to buy them, to take them home, to make them your slave. To redeem them was to buy them, take them home, bind them up, set them up for success so that they could live a fulfilling life, independent. In America, we would say the pursuit of, uh, of, uh, of, um, of happiness. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy, but you get a chance. You're free to pursue it. Redemption was only ever used in that context. The word was never used anywhere else. We use it, redemption, redeemed, and it loses its meaning. It is about redeeming a slave. You and I have been redeemed from the slave market. Ephesians 1.7 puts it this way. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. In other words, he paid our full debt, what you and I owe. The night that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I was so aware of my nakedness and my vulnerability. I felt so ashamed of my behavior and my sins. I needed God to be real. He had paid my debt on the cross 2,000 years ago, but that night he walked in full payment in hand. I believe for the first time. Salvation happens that way. Repentance, awareness of your sin. It's the right thing to do. Setting slaves free is to the core of belief in Jesus Christ. It is to the core who we are as Christians. It is a core belief. Core. It's not a peripheral thing. It's not some blip that happened back in the 1700s and the 1800s and we enjoy the benefits today. No, they had to 
fight for it. The whole world has always had slavery. The British Empire, back in the 1700s and the 1800s, what was said of the British Empire, the sun never sets on it. It was so global and so around the world. It was the greatest empire of the time. And a man named Wilbur Wilberforce and a, a faithful group of Christians fought and lobbied for more than 30 years. They put their money where their mouth was. Some of them lost their lives for the fight that they had to end slavery, the enslavement of people in, in, in Africa and shipping them into Britain and into the colonies to serve. It took decades for it to play out. Wilbur Wilberforce spent his life doing it. It cost him his health. It cost him his wealth. It cost him just about everything. And on the day the law, it was passed into law. The evil was done away with that was in the law. And new laws began to rise up and emerge. And they were followed by more laws and more laws. It became an example that in America, my country... The blood on our hands from slavery is phenomenal. The sin is phenomenal. But it inspired generations there to go, yes, it is wrong. It is wrong. America at its founding had multicultural congregations, African Americans and Americans worshiping together in states like Pennsylvania. And then slavery really took grip in the southern colonies. And then it was codified in law. And people were made less. And then they justified it using Christianity and scripture. That never should have happened. But it was set right because of people rightly believing what scripture has to say. Taking the lie, the lowercase t, and turning it into an uppercase lie. And being willing to put your money and your life where your mouth is. To fight for it. To pick up your cross and go and fight. When Lincoln emancipated the slaves, he referenced Wilbur Wilberforce. Lincoln wrote at length about the effect of Paul's letter to Philemon on him. Wilbur Wilberforce wrote at length about the effect of Paul's letter to Philemon. Such a small letter and such a profound impact and effect. But what is it about this letter? Well, it's the relationship between these three people, master and slave and apostle and student, faithful servant, host of a home group, a home church. That's what we're talking about here. This relationship was forged. The trust was forged. The truth was brought forth and refined and held up high in a home group. Hallelujah. In a home group. Held up high for everyone to see. Paul doesn't have to plead too much. He doesn't even have to explain to Philemon that it's right to set this young man free. Philemon already knew it. And Philemon had him returned to him. He was able to release him from his slavery and turn around and embrace him. To release him and to embrace him. I imagine Philemon saying, I am so sorry. I imagine it. I imagine Onesimus saying, I am so sorry. There is such reconciliation available to us in Christ Jesus. We need relationships that are forged in home groups. 
We need relationships that are formed in small groups. Sunday, as great as it is, you need Sunday too. Don't you start opting out. I go to a connect group on Wednesday night or Tuesday night, so I won't be seeing you on Sundays. You need both. You need both. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, and the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Can you believe that? And every day in the temple and from house to house. Everybody say, in the temple? temple. And from from house to house. Now, this building is not a temple, except when you and I walk in in unity together, we are the temple, and when we come together in unity, God inhabits his temple, amen? He inhabits the praises of his people, amen? This is important, and so is the connection that you forge in home group. You and I can't, I, I often talk with people on Sundays, and you know, I just want to apologize to everybody. It's like, it's so hard to get to know you in these glancing blows of conversations and interactions that we have. We have meals and we do things like that to really try to be able to build connection on Sunday. But deep connections are easily formed in home groups and also in any one of our other groups. Today we have three home groups. Uh, We have uh, Peter. You want to stand up, Pete? Pete at the back. Pete's a wonderful host. Give Pete a round of applause for his willingness. Pete's on Tuesdays, so for term two, Pete's house on a Tuesday. You could actually fill out that card and hand it to Pete if Tuesday's the day that works for you. Wednesdays, Brian. Brian, oh, you're already standing up. (laughs) (laughs) Brian and Tracy. Tracy, would you stand too? Thank you. (laughs) Amen. Just so they can, at Brian and Tracy's, you can hand a card to them if you're interested in joining Connect Group. And on Fridays, Malcolm and Susanne. Susanne is not here today, but Malcolm, you can hand to them after the service. But we've also got the men's and the women's groups on a Saturday. Men, can I get a hoorah? Hallelujah. The women have to come up with their own hoorah. It might be, I don't know. You'll come up with something. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I take that back. Don't see me after church. Uh, But the men meet at 830. What do they meet to do? Well, they meet to study the Word of God, and they meet to pray together and to get to know one another and to talk, and they share the responsibility of sharing the Word of God. It's a great place for them to grow. Did you know that at connect groups and home groups, that's where preachers and teachers are trained? Did you know that's where prophets and evangelists find their voice? Did you know that that's where apostles get the courage and the encouragement and the support to actually go out and do what they do to fulfill what God's called them to do. It all starts in these small groups. Amen. We'll build you up on a Sunday. We'll give you the truth on a Sunday with a capital T. Amen. And then you can go to these small groups and you can go deep into why is that the truth? What does that actually mean? What does it mean for me? You can press on the truth. You know, the truth of God can handle your questions. The truth of God can handle your doubts. Everything I firmly believe today, most of it started as a doubt. I didn't stop at the doubt. Just don't stop at doubt. Have you been in some online social media echo chamber? Get your head out of there. Oh, goodness. That stuff gets in your ears and in your eyes and gets down in your heart. And then what does it say about your heart? Out of your heart are the issues of your life. You got a bad attitude. You feeling down. What are you chewing on? What are you chewing on? What's feeding you? 
It's what we're putting out on a Sunday or maybe in your connect group competing with some other junk out there. Get rid of the junk. I got rid of junk food. Look at this lean, clean machine. I tell you what, I got rid of the sugar because I needed to. But look at, what, look at what's left. Pretty good. Uh, we had a youth activity last week. I, was, I felt really good when I beat a few of them off the line sprinting. I felt bad now. It's like, okay, come on, you know. Should I be prideful? No, I just felt good. It was like, I physically feel pretty good. Okay, this is pretty good. This is good stuff. Yeah, I feel yeah, like that. Went home and Jenny brought me down. That's fine. She, 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 she helped me with my humility issue. So, you know, that's all good. It's good for your growth. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, that junk that gets on the inside of you, out there in the world, and you really do have to be careful with it. I'm kind of joking around, but I'm not because it's extremely serious. Our times are extremely serious. When you kind of wonder what is it that's going on out there in the world, all these people talking about their truth. Have you heard that? My truth? My truth? Have you? Can I get a little echo in my chamber? Have you heard my truth? There's only one truth. Now, you may or may not know it, but there's only one truth. And you know what in, direct, in what direction you need to go to discover that and to take your questions and your concerns and your doubts. But there's only one truth. Only one truth. But we are in a world, especially in the West, where pluralism is a thing. That's a strange word. word the word plural. More than one. It means there's many truths. Well, Every truth is equal. As a matter of fact, pluralism is defined as the view that all truth claims are equally valid. Can I just show you how ridiculous that is? Is the truth claim that we believe all life is sacred, that women should be protected, is that equal? Is that equal with the truth claim of a rapist? These are not equal claims. They are not equal claims. Women should be protected, held up. They should be guarded. They should be valued. They should be seen for who they are, who they were created to be in Christ Jesus. And I know a lot of women who can fight for themselves, but they have had learned to fight for themselves because they've been hurt by people who hold that other truth within their heart. What does pornography say about women? It demeans them. It diminishes them. Yeah, it has an effect on the men who get involved in it. And yes, women get involved in it too. But for the most part, it's the men who get involved with it and the impact it has on women. That lowercase t is a lie about the value and the worth of women. And yet what the Bible has to say about women, what did Jesus show us about women at every turn? That patriarchal society that he was a part of, that patriarchal society would challenge him about the women who were in his midst, him speaking to the woman at the well. His disciples were like, uh, do you want us to deal with her and make her go away? And Jesus was on a mission for her heart. He was working on her. Jesus elevated her. She, she went away and said, come and hear a man who told me everything about myself. Why did he tell her everything? about herself because he needed, she needed to know that God knows her, that he has seen her, and that he's got a plan for her life, and that the way that it's been doesn't have to be the way that it's going to be, that things can change. 
And people came and they said one of the most demeaning things, well, we've come because of what you said, but now we believe because of what he hears. I hope she just said, I don't care. I just know he's changed me and I want him to change you and maybe we can all change. And if we all change, we can become a community of changed people. I hope that's what she said. I suspect that's exactly what happened. What about Martha and Mary? Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen well, and what she has chosen will not be taken away from her. Martha in the kitchen with them pots and pans. Mary's going to be in here doing this, and Mary's just sitting there at Jesus' feet. A spot at Jesus' feet, at the teacher's feet, only reserved for men in that society, and yet there's Mary sitting in the spot culturally that they said only men could sit in. Jesus elevated the status of women at every turn. Why? Because God values women. Amen? God loves women. I like them too. I, I picked out one just for myself. Woohoo! Amen is right. Hallelujah. But we've got pluralism in the world today, but you need to know the truth. Being part of an at-home connect group, joining the men's or the women's, both the men's and the women on a Saturday, they study what? They study the Word of God. They fellowship. I think the women break bread a little bit more than the men do. They pray for one another, and more than anything else, they know and they are known to one another. You get to know people. You actually connect in the most intimate way that a person can connect with another person outside of the marriage bed. You, are no, you know and you are known. And you get to know. We've also got the youth group. They're on a Friday. And we've got the young adults group. That's on a Wednesday. All you young adults, when Sharon sends out that invite, I want you to stand up. I want you to salute and send back, uh, I'll be there. Don't you hit it with a heart, because what does that even mean? Our generation doesn't get it. What does a heart mean? I don't know what a heart means. It means we love one another? Are you coming or not? <laughs> Sorry, just a little correction right there. You stand up, you salute, and you go, I'll be there. All right, on a Wednesday. Help us to do that. Amen. And we got 50 plus on a Thursday. Now, I'm over 50 and I should be going to this thing. I think I'm going to have to start going to this thing. I'm sorry, Maurice. Maurice is a retired assassin, so if I don't show up, she's going she's gonna to do me in. <laughs> just kidding. But we've got a 50-plus group. They're great. They meet at church just here on a Thursday. Have I missed any other groups? Monday. Monday, we've got listening prayer, which operates like a group as well, which is awesome. Ian and Ann are running that. That's awesome. It's a great place to learn how to hear the voice of God. Amen. Come and get connected. Amen. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, Peter and John had been persecuted by the religious leaders, and after their persecution, it says in verse 23 of Acts chapter 4, and being let go, they went to their own company. I love it in the King James. They went to their own company. Have you got your own company? that you are plugged into, you identify with here at Casey City Church? Have you got your own company? Because when times get tough, and they will, and when persecution comes and life gets difficult, God wants you to return to your company 
your company of fellowship, the company of other believers. He wants you to report to them what you've experienced and allow them to support you and to pray for you and to help you to recover. God is in to company. He is in to unity. He blesses unity. You know, for our generation, the fight against slavery is not over. It is estimated today that as I'm sitting here giving this sermon, that there are some 41 million people living in actual chattel slavery today globally around the world. In the United States alone, it is estimated uh, that some uh, 58,000 people live in slavery, actual slavery. It's sex slavery. They've been sex trafficked. Here in Australia, 4,300 is the estimate. At the time of the American Civil War, there were some 3,521,110 men, women, and children who were in slavery uh, in the United States. And they were gradually set free and released and restored. And actually, that generation, the generation who followed after them, moved up into the middle class like a rocket going off. As a matter of fact, by, the, by 1910 and 1920, African Americans were some of the wealthiest people in the United States. They were the bulk, the core of the middle class in America. You know why? Because of faith in Jesus Christ. Let me read to you some side effect benefits, just real quick. You'll find this fascinating. You know the world looks at us, they think we're very strange, and they've been studying us. Why go to church? What would the benefits be of this? Just real quick, these are other benefits. I've been talking all about benefits of going to church. But these are benefits the world over the last 30 years in studying us have found. Church attendance is the number one predictor of marital stability. It is a leading indicator in the prevention of cancer, heart disease, and mental health disorders. Just coming to church. Teens who attend a youth group and are committed to it are four times less likely to commit suicide. Is, is that not a cure for the problem of our generation? You're more likely to remain married, and I like this one. You're more likely to have a happy sex life. I don't know who did that research, but praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. God created it. Amen. Amen. It, it should be good. You would imagine it'd be good for, for Christians. Uh, research says yes. I don't know how they tested that. <laughs> you, you're five times less likely to require antibiotics. You have lower men have men who attend church regularly have lower blood pressure. That's pretty good. That's awesome. Hey, hey, people who attend church, husband and wife, family unit, comes to church, have 50% higher weekly family income. Come to church just for the money alone? You know, what are you worried about tithing? God stacked the deck in your favor. Just show up and tithe. You know, that's pretty good. Oh, praise God. Fewer heart attacks. We statistically have fewer heart attacks. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Young people who meet in church and get married and stay together during the first 10 years of their life, they on average earn $11,000 more than their peers their age. 
Talk about an advantage. Stretch that out over 10 years, that's $110,000. Oh, praise God, what can't you do with that? Do you know cities where people have a high attendance rate in church? Cities where people attend home groups and are involved and they know and they're known and they do all the right things. In cities where people do that, they always have the lowest crime rates. Church attendance and crime rates, they're connected to one another. Church attendance drives crime rates down. Alcohol abuse. By attending church, you and your children are 300% less likely to become alcoholics. Hallelujah. Praise God. And the last one. People move from being underprivileged and in poverty, move from that position into the middle class faster than anyone else just by attending church. God makes the weak and foolish things of the world look extremely wise. It all happens in church on a Sunday, and it happens in homes during the week. You can know and be known. And yes, we have an ongoing fight against slavery. We need to win that argument. But the Bible does not promote slavery. What it does is it doesn't hide from it. The Bible confronts slavery head-on, speaks to it directly to both slave and to master. The slave should be concerned about the salvation of their master. The master should be concerned about the life and the conditions of their slave. And when the master becomes saved, they should do exactly what Philemon did, release them and then embrace them as a brother or sister in Christ. Amen. There is reconciliation available only in Christ Jesus alone. Hallelujah. Psalm 133. I'll close with this. And then we'll take communion. If the musicians can come back up, that'd be great. Psalm 133. Three simple verses. <laughs> Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And it comes with an exclamation mark. Everybody shout in unity. One, two, three. Oh, come on. What do you need, a coffee or something? In unity. Pastor Larry, can you deal with this crowd? It's like, it, to dwell together in unity. One, two, three. Nice and loud. Come on. There you go. It is like two things, verses 2 and 3. It's only three verses. Verse 2, it is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robe. Verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing of life forever. Our unity is like those two things. The oil coming down over Aaron's head covers all of him. That oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God, the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power, slave-releasing power, sin-destroying power, reconciling power of God coming all the way down to the hem of Aaron's garment. Aaron was a, was a priest. That hem represented the authority 
of God coming all the way. You are covered from head to toe in the anointing and you have full access to the authority. When the woman with the issue of blood reached out through the pressing crowd with her issue of blood, she shouldn't have been in town. She surely shouldn't have been in a crowd, but she went there anyway and she got low and she reached out through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment. She was accessing the authority and the Bible says that dunamis, healing virtue, flowed through Jesus and healed her. Our unity is overflowing and covered with that anointing. Hallelujah. In verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon. I love the dew. I love the dew in West Virginia. You get up early in the morning, and on those hills, there's all these little droplets of water that look like someone just delicately dropped each one of them there. And those soak into the plant. They water things. That dew is enough to keep things green for a long time, even if there is no rain. When things are dry, if the dew comes, then things survive, and things are watered, and things flourish, and things grow. It is so gentle. It is not a pounding rain that drives things to the ground. It is a dew that waters gently. Our fellowship is a dew that waters us gently, that the things of our life would grow and flourish even in dry times, even in dry seasons. And the life that it is that that dew nurtures within us, within our fellowship, is a life that is forever. God commands the blessing where we unify, where we gather together. There is life eternal. We can taste today of life eternal. We can taste of those things of heaven today, today, and it's done in fellowship. Amen. Amen. Well, did you get anything out of that? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's partake of communion. If you've got your, your cups. With getting connected with those connect groups, you can go to our website, caseycity.church slash groups. Find out what you need to know about our groups. You can also go to our website. We've got a little button at the top that says bulletin. You can click on the bulletin and find out what's going on at Casey City Church every week. Not everyone gets a Friday email. We send that in the Friday email as well. So stay connected. Know what's going on. Jump in. Get involved. Amen. It's good for you. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul speaking. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took bread, took some bread, and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that the chastisement needful to obtain our peace was laid upon you, and we receive that peace even as we take the bread that represents your body. We thank you for your body. We thank you that you went willingly that you did it for the joy that was set before you, that you would look out and see uh, fellowships around the world throughout all the ages of men and women born again, spirit-filled, rejoicing in your goodness.
doing this because you commanded us to in obedience and in remembrance of you. We remember you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for your body we received. Let's partake. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your blood that was poured out. We thank you that you carried the price of our redemption into the Holy of Holies, that you once and for all settled our debt, that you made it available for each one of us to walk free from the slave market, to walk out into these wide open spaces, to walk into fellowship, to walk into your truth, to know you more intimately. We thank you that our eternity and our salvation is secure in you, hallelujah. And we thank you that today you're seated on the mercy seat dispensing mercy, interceding for us, that even when we sin and when we fall, that you intercede for us, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. So we repent even today. If there's any little thing, church, just close your eyes. Just carry it in your heart. Ask for his forgiveness today. His blood was shed to wash that away. Set you right again. You can do it as often as you need to. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for this glorious redemption in which we stand today. We remember you, Lord. Let's partake. Lord, we look forward to you coming again. We look forward to you coming. We see the times. We see the winds changing. We see things shifting and getting serious. But we know as the darkness increases, that the light increases all the more, that we'll become brighter in this generation. We ask you to have your way and your will through us. We ask you to help each person in here to be connected, to know and to be known, that they would be able to know one another. We ask that you would reveal your truth, your capital T truth, to each one of us, that we would be able to bring every doubt and every question and every concern to you, every echo from the world, that we'd be able to bring that to you and find the answers that we need. Your word declares that if we lack wisdom, we should just ask. And so we ask today that you would release that into our midst. Great revelation, Lord. And Lord, we ask for the fear of the Lord to come upon us, that a reverence for how holy you are. We don't know how holy you are. We sing it, but we don't know. We ask for a revelation of just how holy and righteous you are, good God. Lord, we want to know that that would purify us, that that would adjust us and educate us and teach us, and that that would set us free to follow you in full faith. Hallelujah. That we would be able to live an actionable faith in this generation. Faith in action in this generation. That we wouldn't hold back in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you.